Well, thank you, Graham and Matt, um, and others for greeting me here today and welcoming me and my family. It's a, a pleasure to be with you on Mother's Day. I'm going to be sharing with you some thoughts under the heading of our hopes for our children. And I do encourage you to keep open in front of you Psalm 127 that we read earlier today. Page number, someone, a reminder for people? You've all got that? I thank you, Graham, for already praying for me, but I'm going to just open in a prayer for all of us as we contemplate this important topic today. Bow with me and we will pray. Our Father God, our loving creator, our perfect parent, will you graciously speak to us today through your living word? Will you encourage each of us here today according to our particular situation that you know intimately? And I ask, Lord, that you will use my words and our reflections today to achieve your good purposes in all of our lives and for all of our families. Amen. What are your hopes for your children? For your grandchildren? For your nieces? Nephews? Children in your Sunday school, in your church, in your community? I wonder if some thoughts come to mind about what your, your deepest hopes are. I had a little look at some of the local school websites to get an idea of what they're promising to parents, to get some kind of a sense as to what schools think parents' hopes are, what their customer base is looking for. And here are a few quotes from both independent schools and including your local Willoughby girls. You'll be able to pick which ones fit with different schools, possibly. Here we go. Our school regularly produces boys who perform to the highest percentile band in the HSC examinations. We are a global learning community, educating and empowering young women to shape their world. Our school empowers young women to embrace, embrace the world with confidence and competence. We foster pursuit of personal and academic excellence. And then I found a, a very well um, advertised on social media local tutoring site. We help your children to be leaders of tomorrow. Our tutoring will be the smartest investment you can make in your child's future. Well, what's the reality out there for our children in, in light of those kind of promises? Is it really that success can be guaranteed? Uh, we, we know that's not real, don't we? we I, I think every parent here, and indeed every school, knows at its core that those promises don't deliver. All of us, I believe, realistically, have different, more rounded, more grounded hopes for our children. And, and yet, 
what are the things that sell us rather than what we say intellectually is our hope? What are the things that capture our hearts? What are the things that keep us awake at night for our children? I think that's where we really get to the core of what we hope for. And of course, school websites are designed to capture those inner anxieties that form some of our hopes for our children that perhaps we don't admit to ourselves. We know there are many derailers in this world to success and happiness for our children. Mental health issues are climbing exponentially. I'm often asked by people, Jenny, do you think that mental health issues in the community and for our children are growing, or is it just that we've become more aware and that the stigma is being reduced? And to some degree, I think there's something in that. However, just in the last 10 years, the rates of hospitalization for self-harm of young people has quadrupled in the last 10 years since we've been increasing awareness and reducing stigma. Yes, there might be more people getting help, but I don't think it can account for these enormously increasing rates of really concerning mental health issues for our children. Most of the websites and news stories that report this, what they say is that the world is more distressing for our children than it's ever been with things like social media and providing a growing platform for bullying. But I'd like to suggest that it may well be that in our current times, our children are not as resilient as perhaps they, they once were as, as a general population, that they have less capacity to withstand the challenges that life will throw at them. And I'm going to share a few thoughts on that in a moment. This idea of our children struggling a little bit more or a lot more in society, the interesting thing is that it is not in the context of neglectful parents. There are some neglectful parents in the world still, of course, sadly, but we're living in a world of highly anxious, conscientious, intensely involved parents. Interestingly, there's been studies done on markers of parent anxiety, and the highest spike of parent anxiety in the US over the 20th century happened in the 1920s in parallel with the first publication of parent handbooks and self-help books. I think it tells you something about what fuels the, the decades that have followed that bring us to this day of parents who have lost their sense of confidence common sense, who outsource their parenting to health professionals very quickly and anxiously, and that is the world of current adolescent mental health. That's what predominates, uh, fearful, anxious, loving, highly involved parents. So what's going on here? 
Last week I spoke to a mother and her year 12 daughter who have just, it's their third session, referred from a selective high school. The year 12 students' grades have dropped in this pivotal HSC year. And the mother just paused as she was listening to her daughter talking and we'd been tracking the, the downturn in her daughter's moods right throughout her high school years. And the mum said to me, so pushing my daughter to work so hard is maybe not the answer. I can see that the harder I push, the more her motivation is diminishing. So with that as a, a reflection backdrop, just have a look at our passage for today, Psalm 127. And I'm going to just think with you about what does God's word have to say into these anxious times that skew our hopes and our priorities for our children. And I'm going to start with the second part of this wonderful psalm. Just have a look at verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. It's a gift. Think about this. It sounds so obvious, doesn't it, that our children, gifted to the parent and the communities in which they live, are a gift. But think about the implications of this. They're a gift. They're not a project. A gift, not our personal project. God, our perfect parent, our heavenly father, cares about the job of parenting. Again, it sounds obvious, but think about what this really means in this anxious landscape we're in. Our children are an inheritance, a blessing from him. And, and I do want to say that in the light of hearing what a blessing it is in God's order of things, we know that God's order of things has been skewed in this fallen world with people who from Adam and Eve have rebelled against his good will for us, that the order of things has been disrupted. And I want to acknowledge today the enormous pain and hidden grief of infertility. Um, probably those who are struggling with it would not be able to bear sitting in a Mother's Day service today. But back to thinking about the gift that God has given to us of our children. We're called to be stewards of this gift. Our children are on loan to us. And I thought a little bit about gifts and gifts that God gives us, abundant gifts, more than we could ever list or name. And I thought about there are two kinds of gifts. There are the gifts that spoil us, such as how many of you mums got breakfast in bed this morning? A few of you? Uh, I've, I'm seeing heads shaking. Did any, any of you get a lovely breakfast in bed? Uh, a few hands go up. That is a little moment of joyfully being spoiled. 
hopefully you didn't have to do the cleaning up as after it. <laughs> that would undermine the spoiling. But you know there are those gifts of being spoiled that are purely just God's generosity to us, the, the gifts of the beauty of nature, of sunshine, of delightful food to feast on that many of you will enjoy with your Mother's Day lunches today. Just lovely, generous, spoiling gifts where we have no responsibility except to receive them with gratitude. And then there are the gifts that grow us, the gifts that are a responsibility and they stretch us. And I think in this psalm, when it talks about children are a heritage and thinking about receiving an inheritance down the lines, it really tells me, tells us, that the gift of parenting is not one of those gifts to spoil us and make us happy. It, it is a heritage that we are to be responsible stewards of. And when we can truly see our children as given to us by God rather than belonging to us, doesn't this change the perspective of this daunting task? Uh, God a giver, but he doesn't leave our side in the process. And we read that in that beautiful encouragement to mothers that we all did together a little bit earlier, drawn from Psalm 139. Where can we go from your presence, O Lord? Wherever I run to hide, you are there. And that has been my experience in the times I've been running and been wayward in my parenting and in my life. The Lord, my good shepherd in Jesus and loving Father and God has always been there. So we're not alone in this. But pause for a moment and think, do our hopes for our children reflect this gift giver? Are we honoring our gift giver? I admit, when I look back on my parenting, particularly during my daughter's adolescent years and school years, that even though I didn't want the world's agenda, to take over my parenting. On occasions, it truly did. And I could tell this by how much my thinking would get absorbed whenever my daughters had a, an opportunity of success and being in, in center stage at school, a leadership position, um, a, a part in the school play where you go along and sit there and all you can see is your own child up the front there and you get such pleasure and great joy, sometimes embarrassment, um, but it's almost as if at that moment your child is an extension of yourself and your own self-esteem and your own happiness and there's certainly been many times I've slipped into that during my children's childhood. I reflect on what drives that and some of my anxieties. And I think the things that would derail my perspective and my hopes for my children would be the things that during my own childhood felt like they were lacking or they were painful and I wanted them for my children. 
or the things that gave my fragile self-esteem a huge boost and I took a lot from that and I want, wanted to project that onto my children as well. You might be thinking, wondering, what's wrong with rejoicing in your children's success? I mean, it's delightful on many levels. And of course, there's nothing wrong with rejoicing when they're rejoicing. But hoping for their success and happiness doesn't translate into resilience. And I'm going to go back to looking at some mental health thinking here that I think really fits with the, the wisdom of God's word as well. The push for success and happiness does build unrealistic expectations and superficial foundations for any person's well-being, ourselves and our children. The mother I mentioned earlier with her year 12 daughter, she could see that her daughter was increasingly struggling to live up to her parents and her school's expectations. And as such, over the years, her daughter was withdrawing more and more from her family, distancing from her mum and dad, and from her peers, and loneliness was fueling her depression actually more than just her drop in her grades. That moving away from the pressure of projected unrealistic expectations. So a word about resilience and what really goes into it. What do you think resilience actually is? Well, it's being able to manage life, life's tasks in the face of setbacks. And do we need practice at that just for once in a blue moon? Indeed, every day presents setbacks, disappointments, people rejecting us by saying, no, I'm not available to give you the attention you want right now. We make such a big deal of rejection in our current world, and yet we experience a dose of it every day of our lives, and our children need it as well. I don't mean withholding their essential needs for love, but just not to have parents and adults on tap to meet their needs and to relieve them of distress whenever it comes to them. We can get into avoiding upsetting our children, avoiding allowing them to experience challenge and disappointment, over-tutoring them, and giving them false, unsustainable expectations of success. We can do these things so easily. And the key, if there was one thing that I would say is essential for robust mental health and emotional well-being, it's the capacity to self-regulate, the capacity to manage our own strong emotions without letting them take over and rule our lives. So think about the way you're relating to the children in your life. Are you tolerating letting them experiencing, experience their, their setbacks and their failures without rushing in to make things right for them? 
Indeed, that would be a gift. Indeed, we have a God who allows us to experience our own setbacks, our own waywardness, the consequences of our own choices. And he's always there for us. But he doesn't get in the way of preventing us experiencing these setbacks and learning from them and growing from them. So let's reflect once more on whether our hopes for our children are shaped by the gift giver. Are we getting so caught up in the stresses and strains of daily parenting life that we're excluding God who has gifted our children to us? So back to our passage, back to the beginning of the passage in Psalm 127. These are such useful words. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Think about applying that to modern family life. Toiling, busyness, rushing about, adding to the agenda, waking up early, going to bed late. So much strain. How, does, how do these verses speak to you and to me as a parent today? How do they speak to our endeavours and our efforts in all of our relationships? It really comes down to this notion of what it's like to get things out of order, to labour in vain with a gift and forget the gift giver. This labouring in vain. This is a psalm of Solomon, written by Solomon, one of the four that he wrote in the psalms. And of course, the, the wisdom of Solomon that comes through in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, the great teacher, where we hear this theme of meaningless, meaningless, or mist and vapour, labouring and striving without fearing the Lord. And then look back again in your passage to the end of verse 2, that if we put the gift giver back into his rightful place, he gives sleep to his beloved. Meaning that the anxiety can just go down and be dissipated. This beautiful promise of rest when we get things back in their order. And the Bible has so much to say about this anxiety, this stress and strain and worry, and the rest that is promised by putting our Creator God, in whom we are dependent for every breath we're currently taking and for every word coming out of my mouth, we're dependent on him, and yet we forget that. And when we put him back into that position, he gives to his beloved rest, like the beautiful passage, Philippians 4, 6 to 7, um, that we're told to put our anxieties in perspective, have no anxieties, but instead present all of your concerns and your burdens to our Father God, who will keep our hearts and our minds 
in the peace that is in Christ Jesus. So this psalm gives us a call to get the big picture back into view, the gift giver back into his position of building our hopes, shaping our hopes, watching over us without anxiously trying to go it alone. We can certainly, as I said before, celebrate our children at the times they succeed, but we will see this in its right perspective. Our children won't be a project for our happiness. They will be just a beautiful gift and a responsibility with a God who walks with us in that responsibility. I just wanted to pause for a moment and think back to those of you who are parents. Do you remember that moment of the birth of your first child? There are moments that God gives us, all of us humans, whether we're believers or not, that break into our secular world and there is an inescapable experience of transcendence and worship and looking beyond life just being about matter and chance. You remember that moment of the miracle of birth? At that moment, I would suggest that every parent, every parent who is created by God in the image of God, momentarily possibly, if they don't know God's love in their life, there it is a moment of worship, of this is miraculous, this is supernatural, this is incredible. And I just want to refer you to that, particularly if you're here today as a guest or a visitor, to just retrieve that sense of there must be a gift giver outside of just what science and matter can explain. And our gracious God wants to and rightfully deserves to be guiding our efforts. He never intended us to be doing this alone. He knows our every need, the need for support, for community, it's why he gives us the body of Christ, our extended family, both biologically and spiritually, and above all, he knows our need for wisdom beyond ourselves and perspective and rest, and the need for wisdom from a generous God was spoken of from the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount in our second reading today from Matthew 7, to ask to seek, to, to knock, and it, this is a God who gives good gifts to his children and seeking his will and wisdom, he promises that if we genuinely seek it, he will give it to us. So much of the entire Bible story is about family, is it not? is about broken relationships after a generous God gives to his created image bearers so much to enjoy. Broken relationship, rebellion, broken families, of ignoring the parent, and then God coming to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, to reconcile ourselves back into the family, to be adopted again as his children. It's 
a story of family. And hence it's a wonderful thing to just reflect on parenting and relationships in the light of that bigger picture this morning. I'm going to conclude these reflections today with a personal testimony as I think and encourage you to think, what do I truly long for, for my children, for my grandchildren? And I remember back to a time, a good long time ago now, back in the mid-1990s, when our eldest daughter was age 11. And we had begun at a church, it was actually a time of real renewal in my life, where I sensed that we'd moved countries and God had really drawn my wayward heart back to sitting under the teaching and authority of his good ways and will and purposes of his word. And interestingly, at that time of renewal for myself, our eldest daughter became extremely negative about going to church. Have you experienced that from your children at any point in time? I mean, really adamant that she hated it, did not want to go, and why should we make her go to church? She did, hated Sunday school, it was all a lot of rubbish, and it wasn't fun at all. And I know that my husband, David, and myself were very clear that this was not an option for her to opt out at age 11. We just simply said that this is very important to us as your parents, and you don't have a choice about this. I hear that you don't enjoy it at the moment, and I'm concerned about that, and we can talk about ways that that might be able to be thought about, but um, there's no option. But what happened at that time with the blessings of God in this church community, I was part of a women's Bible study network, and the women's pastor of the church, who was an older woman who had never married and hence never had children, she was a praying woman. Her name was Pat, and she took on with the other leaders of the women's Bible study the task of praying for all of our family and life needs, but seriously praying for our daughter in a dedicated way. And you know, um, some months after putting this out as a prayer request, without seeing any change in the hard and rebellious heart of our daughter, she agreed to go to a Christian camp in the summertime, run by wonderful, devoted, servant-hearted young Christian people, uh, which is also part of the way a community cares for children. And when she came back from that camp, I still remember her saying to me, she said, we, we were living in a house that had a very long, narrow backyard, but the lawn went way, way back down this narrow piece of grass to a, a back fence. And she said, you know, Mum, when I went to that camp, Jesus and me were as far away from each other as from here to our back fence, and now he's in my heart. Wonderful prayer answered. That was a long time ago. 
just over a year ago, I went through um, a, a mother's great heartache and a grandmother's great heartache. We hate to see our children suffer. It's the hardest thing. But to get that phone call and hear that our daughter and her husband at 39 weeks pregnant had had confirmed that their little baby had died. And then the, the horror of her waiting three days to deliver this little life who was no longer alive, naturally, knowing she was giving birth to a child with no heartbeat who would never open her eyes. We didn't know the gender of the child until she was born, a precious little girl, perfect in every way, except that her heart had stopped beating. And even before I went across the world, living on the other side of the world in England at the time, to be with her, and we all, of course, traveled to be with them in her grief, my daughter said to me, Mom, in this unthinkable sorrow, my absolute hunger and thirst is satisfied in the healing balm of God's living word. And I thought back to the rebellious daughter of age 11 and how now God's word was holding her, not taking away her pain, it was horrible and awful, but deeply holding her. And I hope as I share that today, you think about what is the role of the whole church family in nurturing and loving and praying for our children and handing them to the Lord. They don't belong to us. As a mother, when an adult daughter suffers and you're on the other side of the world, all you want to do is take away their pain. But we can't do that all the way through their life. But we can offer them to our great and loving God who can sustain them and grow them and steady and secure their hope for eternity. So as parents, no matter how much we try, we will fail. But we don't have to do this job in our own strength. And my goodness, King Solomon who wrote this psalm he certainly had some massive failures in his family life and in falling away from putting the Lord first um, in all of his dealings. But we have a gracious God. He keeps restoring us to him when we are sorry and ask him for help. I really appreciated Caroline's prayers earlier as mothers who can just say sorry, because we can't do this on our own, and we do get it wrong, and fathers and aunts and grandparents as well. But he keeps restoring us to him when we're sorry, and as we've already said today and celebrated and, and declared hallelujah to, Jesus has taken upon himself our failings on the cross, 
So God's word today calls each of us, I hope it does, my prayer is that it does, for myself and for each of you, to recommit to focusing on the gift giver in our parenting, in all of our relationships, to realign our hopes, to be in him, to seek wisdom to assist our children to grow in resilience, and most of all, to build their hope in Jesus. And that we will lean on him for wisdom in this privileged and often challenging responsibility. So let's pray together. We pray with me. Our Father God, thank you for the gift of caring for and raising our children. We've already said sorry today for the many times that we labor in vain by leaving you out of our efforts. We ask again for your forgiveness and help by your Holy Spirit to renew our hope in you, for our hope not to be in our children's worldly success, in their happiness and our happiness. And as members of the broader church community here today and gathered in many places, help us to be faithful in our responsibilities in raising resilient children who know your fatherly goodness, especially in the midst of the trials of life that are guaranteed for them in this fallen world before you come again, Lord Jesus. And on this Mother's Day, we pray that you will be with those here today who perhaps have forgotten or have not ever really known the peace of living in the light of your love and your goodness. Would you please reveal yourself to them? Ignite hearts today to seek after you, to knock Thank you that you promise that you are to be found for the seekers. And we lift before you our children, our grandchildren, the children you have given into our responsibility. We cast upon you this morning all our burdens and our cares for them. Thank you that we can entrust them to your watch and care Help them to call on you and know your deep love for them in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.